What is up? Welcome to another edition of the Fantasy Life Podcast. I am Marcus Grant, joined by Dwayne McFarlane, and we are through the first weekend of the NFL playoffs. Wild card weekend is in the books, an emphasis on wild. It was uh, crazy in just about every aspect, Dwayne. And I know we we thought there would be some off-the-wall things that happened. Uh, I don't know that we expected a nail-biter in Buffalo. I don't think we expected <laughs> a comeback for the ages in Jacksonville. Uh, there were a lot of things, Dwayne, that that kept us, I think, on our toes. But all in all, in a, an incredibly entertaining weekend of football. Yeah, it was a great weekend of football. Uh, you know, you talk about that Miami game. That's one that uh, Jordan Fiegelman and I were talking about on AMP on Sunday morning. And, you know, we kind of laid out, you know, how, how how does this game work where the Dolphins stay in it, right? Because we were just talking through DFS lineups and things like that. And like, what's the path? And we were kind of like, well, yeah, Buffalo's going to throw like multiple picks. You know, there's going to have to be a tip ball probably for a pick. And like all these things started happening. We're like, well, that was the way. And, you know, wild things happen in the NFL. And and it worked out for the Dolphins, kept that game entertaining. Yeah, the the comeback for Trevor Lawrence, wow. Like as bad as the first half was, right, all we remember now is that second half and how he led that team to a comeback. And people obviously are just all over Brandon Staley. Uh, we've got Joe Lombardi now gone, Marcus, gone. A guy that I don't get it with Matthew Stafford and Justin Herbert, guys that can, you know, deliver the ball to every level of the field, make a defense, really have to earn everything. Now we're just going to check it down, man. You know, it's like I think he ranked 30th <laughs> and 31st with an dot with Matt Stafford. And then with Justin Herbert, like, I, I don't get what Joe Lombardi's doing. You know, not everyone like I get it when you did that for Drew Brees. That's not the offense that you should run for those two quarterbacks. No, not at all. When you've got big armed guys who can push the ball downfield and you've got playmakers at receiver who can go get the football. Why he did what he did, no one knows. And now he's not going to be doing it for the Chargers anymore. So we'll <laughs> see uh, what his future is going to be and what the future of those teams is going to be as well. We're going to talk about a lot, of course. Over the course of this show, we got our power rankings as we look at what the final teams left in the playoffs uh, look like and how they stack up against one another. Also, we'll do the utilization report about what we saw last week and what this could mean for the teams that advanced going forward. Plus, the Fantasy Fixers segment rolls on the Houston Texans next up on the docket. But let's start with the quarterbacks and a couple of unlikely heroes in the playoffs. Daniel Jones, who uh, there has been debate ad nauseum about Daniel Jones and whether or not he's a franchise quarterback and what the Giants should do about him going forward. And then there's Brock Purdy, who has been sort of a darling just because here was the quote-unquote Mr. Irrelevant who stepped in and the Niners have not lost since he has been the starting quarterback of those two guys, Dwayne, who has been the more impressive to you? And, and can both of these guys keep it going this weekend? Yeah, really both have been very impressive because Daniel Jones has not been good really over the course <laughs> of his career. He's had some moments, you know, he's had, he's had, he's definitely had some flashes, but we, you know, Zach Wilson has had flashes, you know, so you don't ever know if they can fully translate those things over a more consistent sample size. But I mean, with Jones, if you look at weeks one through 10, you know, the Giants trailed on an average of 43% of their plays by four plus points. Yet 
they still only threw the ball or dropped back to pass 55% of the time. Like, that's not very much. But since week 11, we've actually seen that change. 64% of the time, they're in that same, they're 64% of the time, they're actually dropping back to pass, despite the fact that they actually trail less, only trailing 36% of their plays by four or more points. So they're trailing less, throwing it more versus early in the season. You know, it was like they were trailing all the time and still wanting to run the ball because they didn't trust Daniel Jones. And I think Jones is a big part, Marcus, of why they've decided they're willing that and they've settled on their receiver core. Right. I think, you know, the emergence of Isaiah Hodgins to go along with Richie James Jr. Not saying these guys are world beaters, but you and I've talked multiple times. Right. You don't have to have three elite options. It'd be nice to have one elite and two really good ones. But right now we've got three weapons that Daniel Jones is distributing the ball across. So I think that's part of it. And then he's played better. Partially probably because of that, right? You need good, you need players playing well to be able to, to perform as a quarterback. So if you look at his, you know, all of his metrics, like so PFF passing grade over the first 10 weeks of the season, 62.3, that ranked 22nd, up to 79.9 um, from week 11 through the wildcard game. Then yards per attempt, which is the number one statistic that ties to just a player that correlates to winning games in the NFL. Like you can look at any stat you want. Turnovers doesn't matter. Yards per attempt passing is the number one correlated stat to winning football games over the last 10 years in the NFL. He was at 6.7. That ranked 20th over the first 10 weeks of the season. That is up to 7.1, which is 12th going from week 11 through the wild card game. Completion percentage is up. Still not like making a lot of big time throws. Um, so that's that's a, you know, something that PFF puts together. And it's essentially you going above and beyond what you would see a typical quarterback do. That's like beating double coverage over the top. There's some really, you know, it, it's hard to make these really big time throws. So, you know, he's not necessarily doing that yet. But overall, like he's managing the game. They're throwing the ball more. So I'm very interested, you know, to see how this goes because they're also about to have to pay him. So right. they, they want to see as many games as they can. Like, not only is it good for the Giants, you know, if they can advance just because, you know, they'd love to have a shot at the Super Bowl, but every game they advance, it gives them another option to see Daniel Jones one more time before they have to make this really big decision. But uh, I, I have trouble, Marcus, thinking he's going to really be this turn suddenly into a super high end quarterback. But then, you know, I also think that maybe we're seeing he has a better, you know, floor than what we thought. Um, and also I will have to say, I don't think he's necessarily ever really just been completely surrounded with elite weapons that have been able to stay healthy. And so uh, there are some quarterbacks, you know, that need less to do more. He's one of these though, that maybe if you give him something kind of like what we saw with Tua this year, right? You get, you get him really surrounded, you know, he might be able to deliver it. He looked fantastic against Minnesota. Now, mm. Minnesota, I really have no clue what was going on in coverage. I've never seen so many wide open receivers. <laughs> Honestly, not, this is not, this is not hyperbole here. I, I've never seen receivers so wide open in a playoff game. It, it was a crazy, like these guys had one and two yards separation. And you're just like, what is going on? Blown coverages all over the place. So that was part of it. But I have some hope, you know, for Daniel Jones. Um, you know, I'll quickly just hit on Purdy. Yeah. And dude, like, I mean, I don't know. It's like, how do you, it's a seventh round draft pick. You know, it's, here's what's hard with Purdy. It's the opposite of Daniel Jones. How do you separate his play from the weapons around him? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like playing at Alabama in college. It's kind of like playing, you know, at Ohio State. It's really hard to grade CJ Stroud. It was hard to grade Tua. It was hard to grade... You know, uh, you know, Bryce, it's going to be hard to break to grade Bryce Young with some right. of the wide receivers that he's had. So Purdy's in a very similar situation to that. Like, but what I will give him credit for is he doesn't just make plays in structure. What I've noticed 
is that he can make plays out of structure. He's got that spin out move where he'll find some, you know, he's already gone through his whole progression. He's in trouble. He escapes the pocket and he immediately finds the right person to throw it to. Fortunately, it's like, again, Christian McCaffrey and he just takes off and goes <laughs> in the end zone. He makes the same play later in the game. I can't, you probably can remember, but it's almost like same exact plays in the pocket. Nothing's there. He has to do this, you know, you know, kind of a spin out to the right and he's got a, an, you know, an option there in the flat. He quickly finds it and allows him to score a touchdown. So I think he's definitely got something to his game um, that I'm noticing that's like, wow. So it's not just the scheme. It's not just the players around him. I still think it's hard, though, to completely separate them. Like, he's averaging eight yards per attempt. Like, that's insane. Over the la over these last four games, 257 yards, 2.5 touchdowns is what he's averaging. Um, so, I mean, 332 yards and three touchdowns, obviously, in the wild card round uh, in the biggest game of his career. We'll see. And now we get to watch the Cowboys <laughs> come play against the 49ers. My Cowboys, like, hey, I, I haven't worn this all year. I've held off. This is probably the wrong time to start wearing it. Like, I'm probably jinxing it. Well, it's funny. So with, with Brock Purdy, I'll start there. I, I was The thing you, you talked about, though, is him sort of making plays in the pocket. That is sort of what really opened my eyes, especially this past weekend, that I don't think physically he's he's obviously not the most talented guy. And, and early in that game, you saw him make some kind of questionable throws and, and get away with some that maybe should have gone the other way. But you talk about the, the touchdown pass to McCaffrey and the one little bit later to Elijah Mitchell, where the pressure is coming. He finds a way to sort of improvise by himself just enough time and then find the guy that's open. I will say that in my my friends text chain, a lot of whom are virulently anti Jimmy Garoppolo, there was a lot of Jimmy G could never do that. And I think there's there's something to sort of be said there that he was able to kind of make plays off schedule. But, uh, you know, a lot of credit does go to Kyle Shanahan for putting him in positions to be successful. And when you have those kind of weapons with a healthy Debo, with Christian McCaffrey, with Brandon Ayuk, who is. Uh, maybe being overlooked because of what he did during the season with George Kittle, it is a lot easier to get out and be a playmaker there. Very different than what, as you mentioned, Daniel Jones is working with. What I do like about Jones this year, in the last couple of years, is he's really protected the football. And that, to me, had been his biggest issue early in his career. The turnovers were just killer. The interceptions, the fumbles. The last couple of years, he's really cut back on that. And so it's it's somewhat about him making uh, the smart play and getting the ball out and running it effectively when he needs to. A lot of it is him just not making the big mistake, I think, has has had a lot to do with it, too. Uh, some credit does also go to Brian Dable, and, and that was the hope when they hired him there, that he could sort of help progress Daniel Jones the way they did with Josh Allen. I don't think anyone's going to take a Josh Allen-type leap forward, but the fact is I think Dable has done a lot to, to help Jones uh, progress, and it does leave the Giants with a very interesting uh, set of circumstances this offseason. Do you pay him? Uh, knowing that, you know, at least right now, he is sort of that prime meridian of quarterbacks, right? Like, he's <laughs> he's not necessarily going to kill you. He's not necessarily going to you know be the guy that you can lean on to take you all the way. Uh, in some ways, sort of like what what the Bengals had with Andy Dalton for years, where, hey, Dalton was good enough to get you to the playoffs. Andy Dalton was never going to be good enough to win a Super Bowl. And I wonder if that's maybe where the Giants are sort of with Daniel Jones. The one interesting thing with Jones, right, that separates him from like a Dalton. And Dalton's not a bad, it's, it's Dalton wasn't bad at one point. Like, no. like that's your point, right? Like you could win with Andy Dalton. If, if 
he could have the same passing upside as Dalton with what he can do on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> I think you can do a lot with that. I think no matter what, the Giants have to make a commitment to really surround whatever they do at quarterback. They've got to surround them with more playmakers. As much as we love what Isaiah Hodgins has done, as much as we like, you know, what Richie James Jr. has done and Darius Slayton also coming on the season, like imagine if like one of those guys was your third best option right? Then you really give Daniel Jones that chance to succeed, but what he can do on the ground, and obviously they're really using it in the playoffs. He saw a season high uh, 42% of the design rush plays for mm. the Giants. 42%. That's a lot for a quarterback. Design. That that didn't even include his scrambles. Like, if you include his scrambles, he ran the ball over 50% of, you know, it was over 50% of their rushing attempts in, in the game. So, and we've seen that. That can be a big you know, it's a very additive factor to um, really your expected points added, right? Which is a way to, to to think about like if you're leveling every play that happens on a on a football field, right? And you can average it against all plays that have happened like that over the last ten years or whatever. Are you actually, you know, above expectation, right? And what you're and what you're adding your chance to to score a touchdown or score points at the end of the drive. And we've seen that these quarterbacks that can use their legs because of what they can do on third and seven, all of a sudden everything's covered up and they're just like, well, see ya. And the defense is like, crap. Like we had everything <laughs> covered up. We haven't been third and long. Like this should be a punt. And it's not because they can take off on you. It's just another factor defenses have to account for. So man, it that's, I love what you bring up with Andy Dalton there. If, yeah. if Daniel Jones could make his passing ceiling, Andy Dalton with what he's doing with his legs, that could be a really a really powerful weapon with the right with the right surrounding cast. Yeah, it's, it'll be curious to see what the Giants do in that area this offseason. I know the, the hope had been a couple of years ago that Kenny Galladay would be that guy to uplift the passing game uh, in two seasons in New York. Kenny Galladay has one more receiving touchdown than you and I combined. So, yeah, <laughs> that's not good, Marcus. <laughs> that's yeah. not good at all. I've got zero. How many you got? I got zero, too. So <laughs> so that, that tells you what Galladay has done. Uh, and his one came, what, I think week 18, was it, I think, in, in like a garbage time situation? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah week 18. <laughs> yeah, when none of the starters it, played. When it didn't matter at all. That was his one touchdown. Uh, it was a tough night for Tom Brady and the Buccaneers offense in their loss to the Cowboys. And afterwards, there was that clip going around on Twitter of the end of Brady's press conference where he was very thankful to everybody there, thankful to the media, appreciating the support, saying that, you know, he appreciates all their work, hope they appreciated him, so on and so forth. It sounded like a goodbye speech, and Brady himself has sort of said he's not sure what his plans are going to be for 2023. This year, it was it was not great at times, and he was sort of a volume shooter, set a career high in pass attempts with 733. And at times, Dwayne, it looked like Father Time, you know, at least had a hand on Brady's shoulder. Does he still have, if he decides to come back and play next year, does he still have what it takes to play at a high level and be a Super Bowl, at least competitive uh, quarterback, if not a Super Bowl winner? Yeah, I think it's a very interesting question. Here's what I will say. Tom Brady's arm strength is not an issue. Like, we, we saw it towards the end of the season. He can still make all of the throws. So I'm a little more on the side of Brady can still do it. I, I think the challenge is with the way defenses play coverage now, Mike Evans is not, he, he can win with big plays, but he not, he's not necessarily a burner, right? And then you've got Chris Godwin, which is really, right now anyway, this season, more like a tight end, you know? He's not really a big play threat. He's just moving the chains. 
And so I feel like if you get Brady somewhere where he's got, I think it's got to be one of two things. Um, one would be you land somewhere where you get some of the big play. Like if you put Tom Brady with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, I think Miami would have a shot to go to a Super Bowl. But like, I think Brady still has that talent. Um, that would be one way is to get him into an, or keep him with the bucks and make a commitment to add a third weapon, you know, not having Antonio Brown this year is something we haven't really talked about, but it is a factor, right? And it was a factor for them last year after, after Brown basically quit on them. Um, so I think, I think that's something you got to consider. I think the other option would be landing somewhere that does more things like what, Kyle Shanahan does put him in a scheme where he gets the benefit of the strong running game, setting up play action, creating all these mismatches. The dolphins would actually create both. Interestingly, Tom Brady is the reason that the dolphins don't have one of their first round picks this year because of the tampering mm-hmm. with Steven Ross. <laughs> so it may make sense. You know, if you're going to lose a first round pick for Tom Brady, maybe you should just go pony up this off season, but hearing Brady at the podium, to me, he's just keeping all of his options open. Uh, but I can't imagine that he would go through everything he went through personally and now just hang him up. I, I really feel like Tom Brady's going to come back. My money would say it won't be with the Bucks. I would be surprised if he's back with Tampa. Um, in some ways, this sort of feels like the end of that 2019 season, that last run he had with New England when you know there were questions about, you know, does he have how much does he have left? That season ended with him throwing the pick six and losing to the Titans in the playoffs. And then, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen. Of course, you know, we all know now he goes to Tampa, he wins a Super <laughs> Bowl. Uh, you know, he, he goes back and for a couple seasons, looks like that old Tom Brady we remember from all those years at Foxborough. The difference now, obviously, first off, he's a few years older than he was when he left New England. And I think there is a lot more, uh, there are a lot more questions around him. Does If he stays in Tampa, as you mentioned, do they have the offense to sort of regenerate and compete again? They do have the luxury of playing in a division that is far from uh, you know, being locked up. I mean, it's wide open there in the NFC South. Um, but even, you know, and it's a thing that, that a lot of people, I think, pointed out on, on Twitter as the season went on. There were times when he sort of looked like a 45-year-old guy in the pocket in the sense that, you know, he didn't want to be hit. And look, I'm, I'm not saying that as a criticism. I don't want big dudes coming and hitting me either. But it was a little bit different than what we have seen from Brady in the past, where he looked like he was just ready to get rid of the football because he was afraid uh, of taking a little bit more punishment in the backfield. And so that those are all questions that I think, you know, he has to answer for himself before we can certainly get any any idea. But I know there's going to be a lot of speculation. There's going to be a lot of you know people holding their breath to see what Tom Brady wants to do. Uh, if he comes back, where he comes back, uh, or if he does decide, maybe I'm going to take that TV money and sit here and uh, not have 300-pound guys <laughs> trying to uh, you know pound my chest in on a regular basis. So we will uh, we'll wait and see uh, how this goes throughout the offseason. By the way, uh, there are still plenty more playoff games to be played, and if you need help getting ready for your playoff contest, we got you covered over on AMP. Fantasy Life is doing four live radio shows a week on AMP. Of course, you can catch Dwayne on Sunday mornings before kickoff. Uh, is Jordan still making you answer every single question on Sundays? Yeah, yeah. Jordan's a real taskmaster when it comes to this <laughs> stuff, you know, answering all the questions. The, you know, yes, he does. And 
it's been a blast actually these last few weeks you know we've really got to kind of change up gears we've got people people in the chat you know we're talking about dfs lineups we're talking about the playoff matchups overall we've been talking about prop bets just really you know using all the tools from fantasy life right the game hub everything else so people can check those things out as well over at fantasylife.com but yeah just having a great conversation having people come hang out and you know we've made some good decisions marcus and we've made some bad ones uh we did get ridiculed on twitter uh, for using the Dolphins defense and all four of our lineups. And our strategy was <laughs> you're going to need to differentiate at defense. We didn't want to take one that everyone was using. And even though we knew it was low odds, it also gave us, you know, the most cash to to use towards other players. Unfortunately, we just didn't get those players right. <laughs> so we, we freed up the money. The Dolphins scored 18 points for the defense. Um, we just didn't, you know, there was there were a lot of big performers this weekend and we didn't have enough of them to, to say that we had a huge lineup. But it's fun going through that thought process, right? Talking through the strategy of why you may build a team one way, why you may not build it the other way. So yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah, that's and that's that's sort of the point, right? I mean, you're never going to hit on all of them, but uh, the thought process is there. I think that that makes it a lot better for folks. By the way, if you want and you should go to the App Store, download the AMP app, which is kind of tough to say, the AMP app. And uh, once you're there, follow at MB Fantasy Life. Uh, come hang out in the chat and learn a whole lot and have some fun in the process. Let's spin things forward to the divisional round and uh, what we think is going to happen. And we'll start with the power rankings. And we talked about it last week on the show. But for folks who maybe missed it or need a little bit of a refresher, Dwayne, take us through kind of what the power rankings are and, and how you put them together. Yeah, we use something that's called an ELO ranking system. Um, it's actually named after a guy that created a, a ranking system for chess. But the NFL uses it. Uh, the old uh, you know, college playoff system used to use it. And essentially, it's it's very simple. All you're doing is you're giving teams more points for beating higher quality opponents, teams that they probably shouldn't beat. You give them less points for winning the games that they should. And the way we come up with those expectations of should you win or not, we just took an average of three things. How many points the team scores, then we took their point differential, so how much they outscore their opponents by, and then lastly, their wins. You average those three things together, that gives them a rank. So when you beat teams with a higher rank than you, you get more points. You also get more points for winning by seven plus points, for winning by 14 points or more. So when you have blowout wins, that is a way to also pick up additional points. So really what it's doing, it's accounting for strength of schedule throughout the whole season. And we're retroactive. We're able to look back, right, and see, was that a quality win? Was that not a quality win? Those sort of things. So it's just a real simple way to account for the strength of schedule. And yeah, it's it, what's nice about it is it's just one easy way to look at this, right? Because a lot of times you get into these discussions and like you got to start going back and trying to break down like every little part of the season. And especially with an NFL season, like there's only 17 games. That's all we get. So, I mean, baseball, it's a little easier because you get so many, right? Game, uh, NBA, it's easier because you have so many games and you can start breaking the season down into components. But with football, like you kind of need all your data points because we only have the 17. So it's pretty straightforward. So I looked it up. Uh, it's named after Arpad Elo, who was a yep. physics professor, <laughs> uh, which is great because now I can get out of my head electric light orchestra because I'm going to be singing Mr. Blue Sky all afternoon. Um, but let's take a look real quick at the playoff power ranks that uh, are over at fantasylife.com. You can check them out for yourself there. But a uh, quick run through the Eagles at one, Niners at two, Chiefs are at three, the Bills come in at number four, the Bengals at five, Cowboys at six, Jaguars at seven, and the Giants rounded out at number eight. The one that jumps off the page immediately to me is probably the, the Buffalo Bills. And I feel like you, you talk about you know, beating teams that you're supposed to beat 
uh, and the margin of victory. I, I feel like the Bills, to use a part, they sort of played with their food this past week, right? Everybody yep. expected them to come in and just run over the Dolphins, and it looked like that early on. I mean, they jumped out to a quick lead, and, you know, I was sort of outrunning errands, and I'm like, all right, well, I'm not going to really have to pay attention, but I'm in the car, and I have it on the radio, and suddenly, you know, there's punts there's turnovers and it gets close and suddenly this becomes a lot more intriguing than we anticipated I still think the Bills are a great team I still think they are very much one of the favorites to get to the Super Bowl but Dwayne they they let the Dolphins hang around and I feel like that more than anything probably has penalized them in the rankings here it did you they beat a team they should have beat so they got five points for that and the way the model works um, but when you look at what the 49ers did this weekend they beat a team that they should have beaten in better fashion, right? They ended up blowing out the Seahawks in the end. The game was close in the first half till you know, Seattle turned the ball over inside the 10 yard line when they were going in to keep it really close. And then all of a sudden we were into a double digit game and it just really snowballed from there. So the 49ers, you know, they pick up two additional points for the way that they were able to win. And that is just enough. These things are really close. Like, you know, we're talking about an average ELO per game of 5.0 versus 4.88. But yeah, it is San Francisco a few notches above Buffalo. Now, what we're not doing in our model that you will see some other places like 538 do is they run some additional, you know, um, you know, computations to account for the quarterback. And I think once you did that, if we were doing that in ours, you know, Buffalo would move back up probably above San Francisco just because we have more confidence. We know quarterback is the most important position and we're going to have more confidence in Josh Allen. Right. But what I'll also say about the Bills right now, Marcus, is like. I'm not, they're not playing their best football. This, you know, they're not moving the ball down the field on schedule. Josh Allen is playing hero ball. They're, you know, they're trying to go deep all the time. Um, I just feel like they're not really playing within the, you know, structure necessarily of their offense. Now, Josh Allen is still awesome. Like, so that doesn't change anything, but like, it's a bad time of the year to, to maybe not be in complete rhythm. And I think that's what we're kind of seeing right now with the bills and you know it took some weird things to keep the dolphins in that game you know there was a tip pass early on you know those are big things that can make games suddenly close that shouldn't be and that was definitely in play here as well um the team that sticks out to me is the other one we were just talking about there's two for me marcus uh but the 49ers being you know one of them mm -hmm. and if you look at the 49ers one other thing that we like to look at and is, is really expected points added and if you look at them in the playoffs, if we look at all of the teams remaining and then you pull up what we have going on with the 49ers, they are the only team, Marcus, in the playoffs where their defense has actually added more points cumulatively over the course of the season than their offense. But the other thing is both are trending up in big fashion, basically since week 10 and their victory over the Chargers. Every week, almost, this has moved up. The offense had a little blip, as you remember, against, or the defense had a little blip against the Raiders. Mm -hmm. So you see a little dip, but then the rest of their chart is back up. They had a little bit of dip in the Seahawks game, but it kind of got back up towards the end. So they, they've got two of the best trend lines going, and they're getting more out of their defense than anyone. They're also one of four teams that are above 60 point expected points added on both offense and defense. Mm -hmm. the, other, the other team that sticks out to me really is the Jaguars. And even though, yeah, they rank lowly here, um, like they have their trends going in the right direction, really honestly just at the right time. So their offense and defense are above the league average now, um, and they're both trending upward. The offense did take a little bit of a dip, obviously, in the first half, and you see it. You'll see. You'll be able to see it in these charts that we're sharing. Um, 
in the first half, you know, it dipped down like nearly back to baseline. But because of what Trevor Lawrence did in the game, like the trend is now good again for the offense. But they're kind of hot at the right time. You know, they had been hovering around the league average on offense. They had been below the league average on defense. And then in weeks, you know, third in week 17, 18, and 19, they really kind of got their season turned around just in time to be heading to the playoffs. I mean, facing off against the Texans kind of helped get them get all that going, right? <laughs> and then they were able to carry some of that momentum forward, you know, into the playoffs. So they're an interesting team that could get hot. Again, we talk about, you know, having multiple weapons that you can go to. Like, if Trevor Lawrence isn't turning the ball over, the Jacksonville Jaguars, if he's right, they have enough weapons to play with anyone. They can get into a shootout. They can survive a shootout. And so I think when you have a team like that, it definitely catches my attention. It makes me think, as much as we just talked about Daniel Jones and how we're excited about him, like he doesn't have quite the level of weapons, right, that Trevor Lawrence has. Trevor Lawrence, I think also we have a little bit higher expectations of what his ceiling can be as a passer versus Daniel Jones. The Giants are the only team that are in here that don't have both of their uh, you know, offense and defense above the league average. Their offense is trending in the right direction, but their defense is still well below. Um, they play a lot of man coverage, and really good receivers are going to give them problems. So I, I do think there's always a chance. They could go to Philly. They could win. But having to deal with A.J. Brown, having to deal with Devonta Smith, Dallas Goddard, you know, Justin Hurts, plus what he can do on the ground— I, I expect the Eagles to easily dispose of the New York Giants. Yeah, it's funny. You talk about the, the Jaguars and, you know, they sit at number seven right now. And this is purely a hypothetical. The, 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 I'm a fan of the parallel universe theory. And <laughs> there, there's, there is a universe out there, right, where Trevor Lawrence doesn't throw four interceptions in the first half of that game. And you wonder how that plays out. Um, you know, based on how the second half went, if they don't turn the ball over the way they did in the first half, you wonder, does this end up being sort of a thrashing by the Jaguars? And what does that mean potentially for their rankings? Uh, it is truly a hypothetical. We'll, we'll never really know the answer to that. Just a, a, an interesting kind of thought experiment uh, about what happened there. So um, the other thing is the Cowboys at number six. I feel like they they could slot pretty much anywhere here and obviously they had a huge margin of victory over the bucks in a game that was never really close in that one um i'm i'm a little bit surprised to see them at number 6 just based on what happened on monday night down in tampa yeah it's it's just you know these are all really good teams right. you know the bengal's are i would say the bengal's are a better team than the cowboys like the, it you know if we're just going with eye test bengal's bills chiefs 49ers, Eagles are all above the Cowboys, and I wouldn't disagree. The right. Cowboys are sandwiched between them and the two teams that were kind of, you know, if you look at all their data points, were kind of lucky to make it into the playoffs, which were the Jaguars, and they got hot at the right time, and then the Giants. Um, those are the two teams, when you look across all the data points, you're kind of like, eh, you could have easily not been in the playoffs. The other six had clearly earned their way in, again, based on data. Any given Sunday, folks, like we're not saying somebody can't come in and win a game. And that's the beauty of this. That's the beauty of getting to watch the NFL is because these upsets can happen. As much as I just, you know, kind of touted the Eagles, like the Giants could go in there and upset the Eagles, like it can happen. So for the for the Cowboys, I think it's really just a matter of, you know, there's some really tough competition above them on this list. I mean, and... And again, this is accounting for all that. It's accounting for the quality of wins. And the Cowboys, you know, they have a tendency at times, you know, they can stoop down, you know, when they're playing a little bit of a lesser team. Um, and we saw that happen with the Commanders. And that really is what's hurting them here in the model. That loss against the Commanders weighs pretty heavily here on the Cowboys. 
Yeah, it, you know, it's, it, it is. You, you lay it out, and as I was looking at it, some of the things are, yes, the Cowboys seem like a good team, but there's also a lot of really other good teams. And so who do you move down in order to move the Cowboys up sort of thing? And I know the numbers sort of lay it out for you, but uh, that's, why you go, that's, why, that's what happens in the playoffs. You get a lot of really good teams, and it's hard to rank them at this point. Um, let's look at some utilizations, though, because, of course, the utilization report, you can find that over at FantasyLife.com as well. And we talked quarterbacks to start the show, so let's dive in with the running backs. And Travis Etienne was the guy that last week we talked about him in the sense that he wasn't getting as much work in the passing game. He wasn't getting as much utilization there as maybe we would have anticipated. But here it is, biggest game of the year. The Jaguars down 27 points, staring at playoff extinction Travis Etienne plays 91% of the snaps. I mean, it's everything that we had sort of hoped for through the regular season. Was this just a you know a case of needing him because of the situation, because of game script, or you know can we can we cross our fingers and hope that maybe this is the future for Travis Etienne? Well, this is what we saw for a long period. And then we had kind of the two-week sample where we're like, what in the heck's going on? Well, week 17's a blowout win over the Texans. We can kind of set that aside because he didn't have to play in the second half. But then week 18, and basically in in their first playoff game (laughs) of the season, because that's what that was, a play-in game against Tennessee, we saw Jamichael Hasty take 48% of the snaps. And that's just kind of like an eyebrow raiser in that situation. So I don't know if ETN was maybe banged up, if he was in the doghouse. And that's where we always put in a caveat with some of these things, especially at this time of year in the regular season, we'll let these trends build up. Right. And then get behind them. You know, now sometimes you'll hear us say you got to act after one week or two weeks, because if not like every, you're not going to have them on the free eight. You can't get them, you know, off the waiver wire. Like if you're talking about regular season application, but as we work our way in the playoffs, it's kind of like, sometimes we're like, okay, well, this is the latest data point we have. And it just really didn't matter. It, it, I, we don't know what the reason was, but he was back to the the role that we saw him in for so long this season. You already mentioned the snap share, but 95% of the rushing attempts, 75% route participation. That was really big because that was the area that was the most concerning because in week 18, he was at 38%. That was a season low for a game where he didn't get injured or didn't, you know, didn't get hurt during the game. Um, and so that's where Hasty was picking up a lot of the work. And that really all went back to ETN this weekend, 78% of the long down a distance and 81% of the two minute offense was back in ETN's court. So that makes him a low end RB one, you know, again, uh, and I mean, like he can finish as the RB one period, like over the rest of the playoffs, if the Jags, you know, keep going, he could finish as the RB one overall, just this weekend, like for DFS purposes, like if you got a utilization, you know, summary setting up the way his does, like, it's just, you know, it's a good thing. You're getting the ball in every scenario. Yeah. No. So this was sort of the hope, especially once uh, James Robinson was moved that, that he really does take over that RB one role. And and it's good to see them get back to that uh, at this point in the season. Um, so we'll see what they do this week. Obviously a, a, a little more of a different test against Kansas city where they definitely may have to be playing catch up and throwing the football would not be a surprise. So we'll see if he gets some utilization uh, in that respect in the passing game. Speaking of being utilized in the passing game, Joe Mixon, Maybe not so much. I actually had a couple of drops in that game against the Ravens on uh, over the weekend. And again, snaps here going completely the other direction there with Samaje Pirine getting most of the snaps, 54% to to 48% for Joe Mixon. Um, It was always a concern. It's been a concern for the last couple of years, Dwayne, that that it's Pirine that gets a lot of the work in the two-minute offense. 
Uh, he's starting to see more and more opportunities at the end, at the tail of the regular season. And I don't know that this is something that continues where it's P Ryan that plays the bulk of the snaps, but there is a big, huge red flag now, big giant exclamation points uh, and bright neon lights around Joe Mixon after what we saw this past weekend against Baltimore. Yeah. And we, you know, he's on the downgrade, you know, report for the utilization, you know, report for the second week in a row. I usually don't do that. But like the trend is bad. Like since week 14, um, we had already seen once Samaji P. Ryan came back, he was getting more of the rushing attempts than what we had seen, you know, earlier in the season. And he was also getting the two minute offense. And that continued. But what we saw with Mixon this weekend, we actually saw him get a season low in route participation, 24%. So even in games where we saw P. Ryan being a factor, he was still holding, you know, 40%. You know, and it's like, okay, fine. You know, you're going to get. 70 to 80 percent of the rushing you know well 60 to 70 percent of the rushing attempts here lately on a really good offense it's going to score a lot of points like we're fine we can live with it you're still going to catch some balls but now the 24 percent route participation if that sticks you know again this is a one week data point but piran actually to your point he outsnapped him in the game so just it feels more and more like we've got a you know a running back that's going to be touchdown dependent like he doesn't have as many avenues to scoring points. He's he's on an offense that is clearly wanting to throw first. The Bengals rank number one and, you know, their pass rate, you know, in close games. So that's within three points, excluding overtime play. They're number one in the league. Um, they're fourth in the league, throwing the ball on first down and neutral game scripts. So the pass is how they want to win. And it makes sense. You got Joe Burrow, you got Jamar Chase, you got T. Higgins, you got Tyler Boyd. Hayden Hurst, all those things are working in in your favor. And we just talked about like, you know, yards per attempt really matter the most for winning. Well, if you've got a passing attack like that, you're going to keep pressure on the opposing team at all times. And so Mixon's in a scenario where he's on a really good offense. They can score a lot, but they don't necessarily want to run the ball that much. And now he's having to share. Like, so that does hurt. He's he's still fine. He's going he's gonna to have his chance to score some touchdowns. It's just the ceiling isn't as good. The floor isn't as good. You know, for being in the offense that he's in, like he should clearly we should be thinking about him as being like a top three back every week. And that just hasn't been the case, you know, all year. Like it's been tough to think of him as even a top six. Now it's hard to think of him in context of thinking of like when all running backs are available, like obviously we're adjusting for the playoffs and there's like, there's only, you know, eight teams playing. So, you know, I mean, Hey, if you're going to be an RB one, like what does RB one even mean anymore? But like when I think about these things and we're talking about them, we're talking about a historical profile against like a full field. Right. So, He's really more of like that high-end RB2 profile, very touchdown dependent. Like I said, he could come through, but at the same time, it's just not what we had hoped for with Mixon. Definitely not what we hoped for, and I think the the silver lining, or at least the hope for this weekend at least, is that it turns into a high-scoring game, which is very possible against the Bills. So maybe that sort of lifts his profile a little bit, but the usage definitely concerning uh, what we saw at the end of the regular season and so far uh, through one week of the playoffs. Tony Pollard? Uh, he's been everybody's fantasy darling at running back this year. No surprise, but Zeke not going away. We still saw Zeke get quite a few touches in that game against Tampa Bay on Monday night. Um, it's, it's still a committee. I don't think we can ever Dwayne expect that Ezekiel Elliott's going to just completely fade into Bolivian as Mike Tyson would say, but I guess the excitement part of it is that Tony Pollard seems to have pretty much wrestled away that RB one job in terms of who's going to get the most snaps in that backfield now. Yeah, this last weekend, we definitely saw that 58% of the snaps went to Pollard. 
Um, 43% of, you know, uh, route participation went to him, which also led the team 47% of the attempts, which also led to your point, it's still a split, but it is nice to see Pollard out there getting, you know, if, if it's a one, a one B, we at least want Pollard to be the one a right. That that's our hope. Now, unfortunately, like I don't get this, um, the two minute offense, Zeke's getting more of that recently. I, I don't get it long down and distance. They're putting Pollard on the field. They have it backwards. Like someone needs to go talk <laughs> to the coaching staff. Zeke's the guy you want to stay in on third and seven, third and nine. You're getting a blitz. All you're asking him to do is pick up the blitz. You're probably not checking it down. When you're playing the two-minute offense, the running back should be a big part of your passing game, right? Because the defense is going into shell coverage. They're just giving you what, you know, they want you to take. They're trying to not give up a big play right before the half or at the end of a game. And so Pollard's the one that's the most capable of catching one of those swing passes and making two guys miss and scoring a touchdown. That's not Zeke. So it's kind of confounding. Like, it's it's really confusing. These things are flip-flopped. It should really be let Zeke block, let Tony Pollard handle the two-minute offense. We don't get to make the rules, though, Marcus. So <laughs> that, that hurts Tony Pollard because really man. the passing game, when they've got him involved, man, we've seen it. His ceiling goes to the roof. You know, he gets these Jarrett McKinnon-type things going. And over the last few weeks... He just hasn't had as much of a role there, and he hasn't been targeted either. You know, Mike McCarthy said he spent the what before he got hired, spent all off season studying analytics. So you know, he he missed has a chapter. A, he <laughs> apparently has he's got a sheet or something. I don't know. Uh, we can't explain it, but uh, I guess they have a reason for it. Uh, let's let's turn our attention to wide receivers there because Gabe Davis was everybody's playoff hero last year, had the big game against the Chiefs in the postseason and did it again, had another big game against Miami to help the Bills get through. And as you mentioned here in the show notes, the A dot is rising, Josh Allen getting better. And he did play a lot of hero ball, which sort of surprised me in some respects. I think they wanted to make a statement as an offense and it didn't quite happened i think the way buffalo wanted it to but they showed that they were going to take some shots and so i mean i don't know what this means for gabe davis season long but at least for playoff for dfs and that sort of thing gabe davis seems to be our guy when you're looking for a wide receiver yeah i mean davis right now over the last three games leads the bills in target share like if he's had 24 percent, 32 percent, 24 percent um you mentioned the adot thing really having josh allen's elbow probably be a factor there was a lull you know we saw davis get hot and then all of a sudden the elbow injury occurred and we saw four or five game lull where we just weren't getting anything like in fact like from week eight to week 11 we only saw one top 30 performance from gabe davis now he hasn't necessarily changed his stripes he's not a high target earner but in an offense that throws the ball all the time and if he's getting the deep targets there's a lot of ways to get to fantasy success, success, right? So on a team like that, you don't have to have, we would still prefer it, but you don't have to have a 25% target share, 25% targets per route run. You can be 18, 19% and survive. He's still slightly below that, like 16% um, targets per route run on the season. Um, he's at an 18% target share. So he's right in that range where we thought he would be for the season. The difference being is that now, to your point, he's getting more of the looks down the field. And I think that's really the thing that we should be looking at. We've seen him before earlier in the season go on kind of a run where he all of a sudden got all these targets. We've we've talked about multiple guys like this. Sometimes it just rotates through an offense because the defense is preparing. Primarily, they're looking at the last three to four games that, you know, that they're waiting things, right? They're looking at the more recent things. Doesn't mean they're not going back and looking at older film or, or their previous matchups with this team, what they try to do to them. But a big chunk of what they're doing is the last three to four games. Well, guess who's going to be showing up now on film? Like it's Gabriel Davis. 
Um, so we saw a similar run in the middle of the season where it was like 30% target share, 15%, 25%, 28%, and then it just fell off like, you know, for several games. So we can't, we can't bet on like these target shares remaining, but the cool thing is you don't necessarily have to Marcus. Like if he comes through again, great. Like if he is really taking this step, you know, as a receiver and we don't know it because we can't see the whole picture yet because there's still more to come. That's a possibility, right? But also if it's not, just the fact that he's getting targeted so far down the field and an offense that wants to throw the ball all the time, um, that works out really well. That makes him a high-end boom-bust wide receiver three. You know, obviously in a playoff format, that makes him a low-end wide receiver one. Um, and if you're playing in these best ball contests, you know, Gabe Davis is a guy now, we're in the divisional round, so we don't have to worry about, you know, bye weeks with some of the other teams. Mm-hmm. So people will be might be a little more aggressive on some of the Kansas City players and things like that. Some of the, most of the Eagles go on the top of the draft. But Gabe Davis now is a little more on level footing, so you might get a little bit of a discount on him, but he's typically a third-round player in the drafts that I've been, and I think that's a fair price. Like, you're you're betting on the big plays if you're wanting Gabe Davis, and, and the data profile supports that. Yeah, I mean, the, the way I look at Gabe Davis is always, you know, it's always the, the discussion of how do you make a million dollars? Well, you can sell a million things at a dollar a piece, or you can sell <laughs> one thing at a million dollars, and Gabe Davis tends to trend more toward that second one where, you know. That's you the may perfect not, analogy. Yeah, you yes. may not get a lot of hits, but you may get one big hit, and you're going to get a whole lot out of that, and that's sort of how I look at, at Gabe Davis. Uh, then there's Jamar Chase, who might sell a million things at a million dollars, considering the way <laughs> that the Bengals use him and, and what his ability is. Uh, we talked about the the situation with he and T. Higgins there. Is it a 1A, 1B? It doesn't seem that way, at least not after last weekend. Uh, a, target sh- a target share of, uh, or targets per out run, I should say, about almost 35%, uh, getting a ton of looks. Uh, we know that he and Joe Burrow love to try and make big plays together, but we also know that when things break down and Burrow's in trouble, he's going to look for Jamar Chase. This is everything we want in a fantasy wide receiver, a guy who can make big plays, a guy who who gets targeted a whole lot. I mean, Jamar Chase is sort of, you know, he's one of the handful of guys that gives us everything we're looking for there, isn't it? Yeah, um, and you hit it. Like, he can do everything. He can He can catch the bubble screen and go. He can win on a slant route against press man coverage and go. He can beat coverage over the top, you know, and score. He can win a contested catch. Like, he, he can do everything. He has all of the tools. So that's, that's the main thing with Chase. But to your point, it's not a 1A, 1B anymore. You know, we had Devonta Smith and we had A.J. Brown um, that we talked about a couple of weeks ago and how people really thought of them as a, you know, a one, the one and the two. And really we're like, nah, it's more of a one, a one B this, this one's going the opposite direction. It's really turning more into, we've got Jamar chase as the one we've got T Higgins as the two. So since week 13, when chase came back from the injury, Marcus, we've got Jamar chase at a 34% target share. That's 16 percentage points ahead of T Higgins at 18%. And then also, if we just want to look at it over the course of the year and use targets per route run, because that can, you know, helps us account for when T Higgins was or whenever, uh, well, for both of them, both of them have missed games. So this doesn't count that against them. This is just for when they're on the field running a route. 25% for Jamar Chase, which is elite. 19% for T Higgins, which is really more of a wide receiver three profile historically. So I do think we're starting to see these two separate. I don't think it means that, you know, T Higgins' career or anything is over that's not what we're saying here we're just saying that jamar chase is really good and it does look like at this point you can call him the clear-cut number one option whereas we haven't necessarily been able to do that like they've hung close enough for long enough but over this last stretch we've really seen jamar chase um taking big steps forward no see social media says if you like one guy that means you hate everyone else that's just 
I don't make the rules. That's just what the rules of social media apparently say when you're, when you're talking about players. <laughs> Um, we talked a little bit about Isaiah Hodgins uh, when we talked about Daniel Jones at the start of the show. He's been a guy who's been a playmaker, and you look at the last few weeks, uh, 22.9, 14.2, 24.5, really has started to come forward. Is he, is he sort of the new Gabe Davis? Is he that guy that, that shows up and is going to be a, a much-talked-about figure in the offseason, or is this just happen to, is it just happen to be matchups? Or, or Any explanation for why Isaiah Hodgins is a thing now? Yeah, I think with Hodgins, we just have to be careful because, you know, that's what we talked about. It can really just rotate. It, it was Slayton earlier in the season, right? And then teams warmed up on Slayton on defense, started, you know, giving him more of the attention. Then it went over to Richie James and Hodgins. And so this last weekend, we saw Slayton start to kind of reappear. But Hodgins did have a really good game um, over his last three games, Marcus, 26%, 22%, and 28% target shares. What's interesting around your question, is he the next Gabe Davis? He was Gabe Davis's teammate when the season started. Uh, <laughs> and it's not like the Bills are stacked at receiver. So Isaiah Hodgins, if he does turn out to be something like, wow, that's a guy that got away from the Buffalo Bills. And the Giants have really, really been able to maximize you know, his skill set. Um, and he's really... He looks where he might be better than Gabe Davis, Marcus, is just really being able to work those intermediate and underneath areas of the field, maybe more of a complete player, whereas Gabe Davis is more of that down-the-field threat. He can give you the back shoulder catch against man-to-man -man coverage, those sort of things. There are things that Gabe Davis does really well. Hodgins looks like he might be a more diverse receiver, though. And what you get from that is if he can keep this up, there is a chance that it sustains. Like, if we see this happen for a few more weeks because he's – Quarterbacks don't throw the ball down the field that often. Like if you look at targets 20, 20% plus, or, or sorry, 20 yards or more down the field, most like the best quarterbacks in the league are like 14% of their throws. Then you got quarterbacks that are, you know, at nine and 10%, 11%. So only a 10th of the time really is the throw going down the field that far. So if you're someone that can really work a lot of the other components of a route tree successfully, it's just going to give you a better chance to succeed. So I, I like, I like Hodgins better than Gabriel Davis right now at this point. Now, I don't like his situation better. So I'm just right. talking about as a prospect, I would grade him right now above Gabriel Davis as far as thinking what could he potentially do next year. Doesn't mean he's going to hit. 18% targets per route run is still really more of a wide receiver four, wide receiver five profile historically. Um, but he, he, he still has a chance to put a dent in that and, and change that for the course of the year because he has been on the upswing in that regard as well over the last several weeks. I look forward to Twitter just arguing about Isaiah Hodgins ad nauseum. <laughs> That's going to be, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. Uh, last one here, Debo Samuel, who's back and healthy. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to say it. What, what people are scared to say, Dwayne, Debo Samuel is good at football. And I think having him <laughs> on a team makes that team better. I don't know if you want, I don't know if people want to, to push back on that, but that's just my personal opinion about Debo Samuel. Yeah. Uh, he's amazing. He, you know, with the ball in his hands, I think you could argue top three in the league of everyone that gets to touch the ball, mm -hmm. right? Um, skill players. So he's just, he's a nightmare. Like if you give him zone coverage, they're going to him. Everything is schemed up for him around zone coverage. Um, Christian McCaffrey has been a bump in the road because they kind of challenge each other for the same targets. What last week is a reminder of though, Marcus, is the upside. <laughs> the upside of Devo Samuel it's astronomical. The upside of George Kittle is astronomical. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, floor and ceiling, astronomical, right? He gets both. Um, the, the, 
the challenge is we don't know which is going to be which, right? Between him and Kittle, and then we we didn't even mention Ayuk, who's right. really good in his own right. You know, he does he does a different thing, right? He's 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 typically on the backside of the play when you get man coverage, and the screen isn't there for Debo. It's like boom, hit Ayuk, you know, with the single man coverage, you know, and he can work the ball further down the field. So there's just everybody has their role, and it depends like what's the defense going to do, and then that dictates okay what Brock Purdy is going to do. And that that's what makes it the challenge. But like this offense, man, like I'm scared to death, like as a Cowboys fan, like there's so much going on here right now. Number one, like they can run the ball if they want to. They could just come out and run the ball 60 percent of the time and totally take Dallas's pass rushers out of it. You can get the ball to guys like Debo Samuel, not just by throwing it to them. You can put them on the jet sweeps. You can put him in the backfield and just hand the ball off to him. There's so much to worry about. Uh, and the fact that George Kittle cannot be covered by Leighton Vander Esch, not possible, or Anthony Barr. So that means you've got to commit a safety for sure, and maybe a linebacker to George Kittle. It's just, it's a nightmare for fantasy. It's a nightmare for real opposing defenses. It's also a nightmare at times for fantasy managers because we just yeah. don't know which guy's going to go off. But you can't bench them. You cannot bench them. And and I mean, I, I get it. At this point of the year, we're playing best ball or we're playing, you know, DFS. I also love them in both of those formats because they're back to what you mentioned a, a minute ago. Like you can do one thing for a million dollars. That's what all of these guys can do. Uh, it's the one thing. And that one game can be the difference between your best ball team advancing and not advancing. Um, so yeah, Debo's he's, he's just a stud, man. He is. He's just amazing. There was a, there was a point midway through that game uh where he was kind of running across the middle just wide open and, and purdy missed him and took a shot downfield and it was kind of lucky to not get it picked off and i know they were trying to hit the one big play and score a touchdown on that but you know for my money there, there's certainly a good shot to, you know you just throw that ball over the middle to debo and i feel like you have just as good a chance of him ending up in the end zone with it because he is that good uh with the ball in his hands Hey, so that's a little bit of our look at the utilization report. You can get more just by going to fantasylife.com and checking out the report in full there. And if you want to put all of that good utilization data to work, just go on over to Underdog. There are new best ball playoff contests underway, starting with the divisional round. You just draft 10 players in 16 leagues. You get a chance at some big prizes there. Be sure to use the code LIFE, L-I-F-E. Get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Fantasy Fixers, we are looking at the Houston Texans, who it looked for all the world was going to get the number one overall pick. But then they win in week 18. They get bounced to the number two pick in the NFL draft. You can find these, of course, at FantasyLife.com. And Dwayne... The Houston Texans, we look at them overall. It seems like the easy answer for what's wrong with them is everything. But if you're going to be a little bit more specific, uh, how do you summarize this team? I think everything is a really good specific summary <laughs> for the Texans. <laughs> it's a complete dumpster fire, 313-1 and one on the season. And they just rank poorly everywhere, Marcus. Like whether we talk about offensive yards per game, 31st, points per game, 30th, EPA per play on offense, 32nd. PFF grade on offense, 32nd. Like, you know, you that was a that was a sweep. You swept everything there. Defense is really the same. Like 30th in yards given up, 27th in points, um, EPA 26 and PFF grade 31st. So the good news is they can literally target anything they want and it's going to make their team better. Now they're gonna have to put together their plan to make sure they prioritize the right things. And I think that's what we're really gonna help them with today. The other good news is with the trade of Deshaun Watson, they do have extra ammunition this year in the draft. They've got five selections in the first three rounds, including an additional first rounder, the 12th overall pick from that trade. 
So 2022 was a triple crown of tragedy for the Houston Texans. If things are going to get better in 2023, we have some recommendations. First thing on the docket, what should be the first thing the Texans go out and try to fix next year? Well, I know this is really like, uh, you know, hard hitting analysis here, but they they're going to have to draft a quarterback. And you mentioned what happened getting bumped down to pick two. They were at pick one. They were going to be able to take whoever they wanted. Bryce Young and CJ Stroud were typically they're thought of as the top two guys. If you had one you preferred, you may not get that one. But the good news is you're going to get one of two. What I would advise the Texans on is I would not trade up to get the other one. I think these two guys are very close. I think they both have flaws. They both have things that are going to make them difficult in ways to scout because they've been surrounded with so much good talent. So I would go with who is available to me. Um, and I would not trade up and give away additional draft capital to move one spot. And they're going to be tempted to because the team you mentioned, the Colts sitting at four are now in striking distance. The bears, they could very easily continue on with who they have at Justin Fields. And that's going to make them willing to move down. So they need to get a quarterback with one of the first two picks. And that, in itself, we're not going to probably want to draft that quarterback next year in fantasy. Neither one of these guys are scramblers, which is a plus for rookie quarterbacks. They're really more pocket guys. But if we can make some additional moves, add some additional pieces around them, they could be good enough to help support some fantasy viable options in 2023, unlike what we saw this year. It is going to be key for them to not panic in case a team decides to move up ahead of them just because, as you mentioned, they have so many needs. They should keep some of those assets, try to build as much as possible. But certainly Davis Mills shown that he is not the answer there. So that's one thing down. Next thing, if they are going to improve what they did from 2020 to uh, something they should or maybe shouldn't do in 2023. Yeah, they need to avoid running back in the draft. Why? Because they have Damian Pierce. They took him in the fourth round. It's probably a home run pick. And looking at what he did this year across a lot of the metrics that we like to look at, PFF rush grade, Marcus, ninth, 84.8 out of 43 running backs with at least 150 attempts. Missed tackles forced per attempt, first at 0.28. And then if we look at yards after contact, he was ninth at 3.3. So this is a guy that can get it done. The other part is we have seen him in college actually serve as someone that can work in the receiving game. He's also shown to be a capable blocker in the passing game. So I think there's an opportunity for Damian Pierce to turn into a true every down back. There's an opportunity for the Texans to conserve their draft capital, to be able to put it towards other positions that are going to better help their team. Of course, if they ignore what we have to say here at Fantasy Fixers, it's going to be a problem for Damian Pierce because we've seen these hyper-productive backs without a lot of draft capital. When you bring someone else in that does have the draft capital, examples, Michael Carter, James Robinson, it really does hurt their fantasy value. So hopefully the Texans will listen to us and we get an RB1 next year out of Damian Pierce. I know there's that debate about RB values and how much draft capital you spend on one. And as you mentioned, we've seen a lot of guys go later in drafts who've turned out to be productive, but it seems like they've got a good one there in Damian Pierce. And I don't know that there should be a big fuss to try and add something to that backfield. If you have one more recommendation for what the Houston Texans should do in 2023, that would be. Yeah, they need to upgrade the wide receiver room. You're going to take a quarterback in the first two rounds. You want to give them something to build momentum. You want to give them something that can really be, you know, the baseline for what their career is going to be as far as the chemistry that you can develop 
A guy that's really been linked to the Texans early in mock drafts is Quentin Johnson out of TCU. Now, his draft stock may take a little bit of a hit after how he performed in the national championship game. I don't really know how much of that you could put on him when your quarterback's running around for their life the whole game. Um, but if you look at what many of the draft Knicks around the industry think about Quentin Johnson, they love him. You know, if you look at Mike Renner from over at PFF, he says in terms of physical talent, he's right up there with anybody we have seen in the last decade. So. That's an option that's going to be around whenever they get that second pick in the first round, which is a pick 12 from the Deshaun Watson trade. You've also got Jordan Addison, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. Um, the other thing I would say beyond just drafting a wide receiver, they need to keep Brandon Cooks. I know he's come out and said that he wants to leave, but if you want to win in the NFL today, like you've got to have guys that can beat you with speed underneath that can also beat you over the top. That way, when defense goes into max coverage, you can make them pay for the underneath throws. And if they want to come up and press because they're trying to get more guys into the box or they think that they can throw your receivers off, maybe they're trying to stop your run game, you can still beat them over the top. And Brandon Cooks can still do both of those things. I know it did not turn out well for Brandon this year, but again, your point, we're dealing with Davis Mills, a big difference potentially with a rookie that we can bring in. I think if you have Brandon Cooks, plus one of these other receivers in the first round, or if they decide even to use their second round pick, their early second round pick, there's still going to be wide receivers available. You make two of those moves. Then you have John Mechie potentially coming back next year. You've got Nico Collins. Those guys are battling for the three and four spots. I think we could have a big upgrade in the passing game. And I think it's easier to do in the draft because we've seen the last few years, the draft classes have been very deep at the wide receiver position. And I think when you look out at the free agent market at wide receiver, there's not a whole lot there that I think you're going to be willing to go out and break the bank for. So this could be a way to go out and get some guys uh, and get them kind of a very more team friendly salaries at the same time to try and help build this roster there in Houston. Of course, those are our suggestions for what the Houston Texans should do this off season uh, for you guys. If you have some thoughts, we'd love to hear them in the comments section as well. So we're going to fix the Texans. Uh, hopefully we're helping you fix your playoff fantasy lives as well, because that's what we do here at Fantasy Life. Uh, we'll have more again later on in the week as we get closer to actual games. In the meantime, we appreciate you hanging out with us. For Dwayne, I am Marcus. This has been the Fantasy Life Podcast. Enjoy the week, and we'll talk to you again real soon.